Last uh, week in this series, uh, four weeks, we're in week three, we have one more. We looked at the passage, you might say is the heart of, the, of this whole idea, where the passage series, I should say, this set of experiences gets its name, send me. Where Jesus said it's, the, it's the, maybe the shortest version of what we call the Great Commission, sort of very, very uh, succinct. He says to his disciples who I think represent the church at that point, as the Father has sent me into the world, both to be born in a manger, but ultimately to die on a cross, as the Father has sent me to bring this message of hope, I'm now sending you. This is it. You could boil it all down to, what is the purpose of the church? It's right here, all the way into this very, very day. So that's really what we've been talking about. It's not just theology and good, interesting, biblical um, history. It's, it's our mission, our calling. It's what we have been called to do right there. As the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus has sent us and he continues to send us. So the next two weeks, today and next Sunday, I want to talk about how you and I can better personally engage in our calling wherever we live it out today. There is no, let me say, hopefully this is, this is obvious to you, there is no classroom, no office, no gym, no ice rink, no neighborhood that is not populated with people today that do not know the grace of God, that do not know the forgiveness of sin, who, who, who do not know there's a God who loves them, who sent his son to die for them, and they've truly experienced in their heart of hearts the forgiveness of sin. Our lives, if we never left the environs of Rochester, our lives are full of people who have yet to hear this message. When I stand before God one day, right, and I believe that I will, in fact, I believe all Christians will stand before God one day, I will not have to give account for how I cared for or talked to your friends, your neighbors, the people in your family. I will not have to do that. I may never ever even meet your friends. I may never meet your family. I may never meet people that you see every day at your office, whatever it is you do at your school, high school. I may never see them. If I live to be 100 years old, I may never see them. I, don't, I, I will not be held accountable for that, but I will be held accountable for my friends and my family. I will not be held accountable for how you, to, to, about using your gifts or your time, but I will be held accountable to use mine. And the means of this accountability, how do I do it? How do you do it, right? How does it go from theology to um, practice? It's really our faith. The way that you and I are able to live out this calling as the Father hath sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you. It's really one word. It's your faith. And I want to talk about it in two Sundays. This morning, I want to talk about how to exercise your faith relative to the calling of being sent to share the gospel. And next week, I want to talk about how you sort of talk about it. You might call it spiritual conversations. But today, I want to talk about how you and I exercise our faith in terms of this calling that every single person in this room, if you believe this book, has. As the Father hath sent me, Jesus says, to the church, I am now sending you. And he's been doing it for 2,000 years. So, if you have a copy of the Bible, Matthew chapter 8. 
And in the title of this message is Elements of a Great Faith. And I would say in terms particularly of this challenge, this calling to be sent into your world and into my world. Let me say just a word or two before we dive into this passage. For some of you, if you've been in church of any time, you've heard this. It's like if I was talking about the prodigal son or something, right? I mean, this is a common passage. The passage is Jesus and the centurion. But I'm going to suggest to you that you open your eyes and see something in this passage that you have never seen before. Okay, that's my challenge to you. I, I, I think it's the case for me as I look at this passage this morning. Let me say something else. There is a shock value in this passage. Right? This passage, not every passage has it, but it has built-in shock value. And I would suggest to you that it's intentional. And it's from Jesus Christ. This passage is going to unfold and it is meant to provoke. It is meant to shock. It's meant to make people uncomfortable. Okay, so that's as, with that as an introduction, let's read this passage, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Follow along as I read. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a town along the Sea of Galilee, his ministry base, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. I tell that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into outer darkness or into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. The elements of a great faith. Number one is believing that Jesus will go anywhere. Okay, You want to have a great faith? particularly a great faith in terms of the calling that you have and that I have, right? It's got nothing to do with being an airplane. It's got nothing to do with an automobile. It's got nothing to do with geography. But wherever it is that you do your life, as the Father hath sent Jesus, you have been sent. If you really want to understand how to live this out, it begins with believing that Jesus will go anywhere. Okay, now... Let me say something as a point of context here. If you're a note taker, write Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and following. The end of Matthew chapter 4, here's what you see. It's a summary statement. It's like any writer. And this is what it says. It's kind of a, a wild statement. And it says, Jesus was in Galilee and he was healing people. All kinds of diseases, exercising demons. He mentions some seizures. He mentions these things. But it says, people from all over Galilee came. 
to be healed. People came from all over Syria came. People came from Judea and Jerusalem, which means the south. They, drove all, they came all the way up, or came, however they got, they didn't drive, but they came all the way up to, to, to Jerusalem to be healed, to, to, to Galilee to be healed. And it says, even the Decapolis. Now, those are words that you might write, uh, gloss over, but there's a statement being made, and what the writer is saying is this. In, it's a summary statement, but it's four chapters before we get here. He said, Jesus Christ started with a healing ministry that was very, very broad. Not just people in his town, not just in Capernaum, not just around the Sea of Galilee, but everybody in the entire region, which included Gentiles, Syria, the Decapolis, that word might not mean a lot to us, but it's the 10 cities, Decapolis means 10 cities, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which were non-Jewish. Right? The geography was not a lot of distance between west and east, but the, the, the emotional distance, the background was very, very broad. And they're saying people came from all over the place. One writer that I have great respect for said this. Maybe it's a little bit of an overstatement. It said, Jesus Christ virtually banished all disease in Palestine for about three years. Whether that's an overstatement or not, if you read John, Matthew chapter 4, it's, it's beyond anything. It wasn't just, oh, we heard this great story, he healed the, the woman here, or this man here, or this child, and it lives on in oral tradition. No, everybody and their brother, from a fever to, um, to one guy in Matthew chapter, the next chapter, the guy says, my daughter's dead. Would you come and heal her? And he rises, raises her from the dead. So from a fever all the way to in the grave and everything in between, Jesus healed people. The, the sense you get from Matthew chapter 4 is until people just stopped coming, right? Turn out the light and go to bed. Banished disease. Now, why is that important? Because here in Matthew chapter 8, we have the first two miracles actually identified and called out. So these ones are, in Matthew chapter 4, it says, all kinds of people were healed from A to Z. But the writer, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, now I want to slow down the film and I want to just call out two, the first two miracles. So that ought to tell you something right away. If the writer, if the Holy Spirit, if Matthew, if Jesus is saying, listen, now I'm going to call out two of the thousand, there might be a reason he's calling out these two. Right? What are they? Number one, we didn't read it, verses four verses of chapter eight, is a leper. Number two is the centurion. Now, quick thought. Some of you know this. Who's a leper? The lepers, what is leprosy, by the way? Some of you know this, some of you don't. It's a horrible skin disease. It's disfiguring. There's no cure. And in the days of Jesus, it was, it was, the, it was, the, it was the worst thing you could possibly have. You were, you were not just socially shamed, not just you know, unwelcome here and there, but people were scared to death of you and they had to take these people and put them in leper colonies. Not necessarily because they didn't like them, not necessarily because they disliked them, but because they felt they were contagious and people might die. And so you lived your life in isolation without any help, no Red Cross buses, nothing going on, and you lived your life and watched your life physically ebb away. And if you were, if you were a leper, speaking of a religious context here, speaking about, there's only one church in the, in the book of, in the Gospels, in other words, the temple. The Jews don't have a church on every corner. There was one, it was in Jerusalem. If you were a leper, you couldn't even walk into the city of Jerusalem. So forget about ever going to church. The ultimate outsider is the first person that's mentioned. 
You think that's for a reason? Number two is the centurion. Who's this guy? Well, we know this much about him. He's a Gentile. So although he wasn't barred from Jerusalem, he was essentially barred from what you'd say Israel's inner life. He could go to the market. He could go to the movies. He could come to the temple. He could even walk into the temple, but he couldn't go past the lobby. It's called the outer court because it, between the lobby and where the real stuff happened, where the real worship happened, where the real forgiveness of sins was transacted, there was a big sign and it said this, Gentiles can go no further. Glad you can be in the lobby. Enjoy your coffee. You'll never hear the sermon. Essentially what it said. This is the second person that Jesus healed. In these first two miracles, what's the point? Jesus moves across national boundaries and social boundaries to make a point. What's the point? There's nowhere he will not go. He's not the problem. Right? Jesus, that is. He'll go into your neighborhood. He'll go into your friends. He'll go to your crazy uncle. He'll go to the people in your office. He's not the problem. There's nowhere he won't go. The gospel includes those who have no natural claim on him. Jesus will go anywhere he's invited to go. What do you mean, Rob? To a leper colony, the home of a Gentile? Listen, to the lives of the spiritually lost and the physically suffering or emotionally suffering people in your life if you will invite him there, okay? If you take your cue from this guy, the centurion, who didn't need to go to Jesus. He didn't have any problems. He wasn't sick. His friend was. And he risked his uh, being uh, looked down upon. He risked being uh, 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 shamed by the Jews around him. He's in a Jewish town, Capernaum. He was the guy with a gun standing on the corner. He was the occupying force. He wasn't liked. He could have kept his mouth shut. He didn't have any problems. His friends did. His friend did. But he came for someone else. But I would say this. In reaching this friend, right, God reached him. The centurion came for his servant, but I'm confident, I'm confident that he walked away a changed man, even more than his friend did. I was in um, my uh, gym uh, a couple weeks ago. Walking, I was with my tennis partner. We were just kind of walking away from the tennis court, you know, 20, 30 yards away. Some guy yells out my name. He's on a machine. Hey! This friend of mine who I know from the gym and probably talked to him once a week for years. Um, and uh, we're just kind of, you know, you have those kind of club friends, whatever, and we're friends. And he said to me, and he, I said bye to my tennis buddy, and I'm talking to him, and he's still doing his workout. And he said he just wanted to bring me up to speed, a new development in a situation with one of his adult kids. We've been talking about it. I've even prayed for this adult kid a number of times. But he's telling me, and the update was, was not a good update. And I just had this moment. It just hit me. All happened one second. I had this sort of in, in, you know, um, impulse to say, not only pray, maybe we should pray right now here. And you think, well, don't you pastors do that all the time? No. <laughs> no. I don't. You know, uh, but I thought, I said to this friend who's not a church-going friend, guy, I said, okay, I said, I'm going to pray, but let, should we pray right now? Okay. We weren't in a private area. And he, he looked at me and said, okay. Closed our eyes, said a quick prayer. I opened my eyes. I could sense it made a difference to him. I can tell you now, X weeks later, 
it made an even bigger difference to me. It's given me a sense of joy and purpose, I perhaps more than anything I can think of in, 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 you know, in the last many, many weeks. Jesus will go anywhere he's invited. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Point two, maybe this will help. There is nothing Jesus can't do if you truly believe in his word. Now, let me say to some of you who are saying, you sound like the crazy television preacher. Hold on. (laughs) Stay with me. There is nothing Jesus can't do if you truly believe in his word. What is Jesus amazed by here? It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. The verb to be amazed is, um, this is the first and I think only time in the entire New Testament where Jesus is the subject of that verb. In other words, usually when they're amazed, it's so and so. Jesus said this, they were amazed. Jesus healed, they were amazed. Jesus is always the object of people's amazement, right? This is the one and only time, should get your attention, where the person who's amazed by what someone else did was Jesus. What's he amazed by? Well, the passage tells you in the second paragraph, verses 8 through 9. This guy understood something about spiritual authority that even the disciples or no one else in this passage understood. That's ironic. What did he understand? It's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? And that's supposed to be a, 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 a question of, you know, like, I can't do that in a manner of speaking because Jesus is Jewish. And Jewish people don't go to the home of Gentiles, if you know your, your Bible. So Jesus is kind of baiting him, you might say, in a way. Saying, well, shall I come and heal him? Shall I come to your home? Because the guy wasn't right there. His friend was home and sick. And this guy immediately picks up on that. He says, oh, no, Lord, you don't need to come to my house because I understand something about spiritual authority. What does he mean? He says, I'm a centurion. What does that word actually mean? It means you're the leader of 100 people. Right? Centurion means 100. And what he says is this. I'm in the military. I've been there my whole life. I know something about authority. And for me, in my sphere of authority, which is 100 people, my 100 men that are all over Capernaum right now in the region, my word is gold. My word is gospel. What I say gets done because I am the leader. I am the lieutenant. My troops do what I say. So what he's simply saying to Jesus is this. The same goes true for you, Jesus. You have authority, but his insight is the sphere of your authority, because I've been here in Galilee, excuse me, in Capernaum, it's my jurisdiction. I'm not a Jew, I don't go to temple, but I've been listening to you, Matthew chapter 4, I've seen people come all over, all the way from Syria and from the Decapolis. They've come here, and I'm just sitting here at the edge, kind of doing crowd control, but I'm paying attention. And here's what I know. You're the, the sphere of your authority is the whole world. So we don't have to worry about the, 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 the protocols of Jews and Gentiles being in the same house because this is what I know about you. You don't even have to come to my house. You can just speak the word and ipso facto, it's done. And Jesus says, wow. Wow, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. 
And think about this for a minute. When I say this is a provocative moment. Think for a minute you're in this moment. Here's the disciples. Because it says Jesus was amazed and he said. Now Jesus, if you look the red letters, if you have a red letter copy of the New Testament, if you know what I mean. The actual words of Jesus, the mini sermon that Jesus gives is not to the centurion. The centurion is kind of, you might say, the major actor here. He's the major person in the story. But the sermonette goes to the disciples. This is what Jesus says. He points at the centurion with his left hand, but he's faced to the disciples, and he said, listen, in all of Israel, which means including you, in all of Israel, the people of God, my ministry, I came to the lost house of the people of Israel. In all of Israel, who are Israel? The people that have the Bible, the people that can go to church, the people that know God. In all of Israel, I have not found a single person who has faith like this guy does. Number one, that's a sobering thing to say. If I was in this crowd over here, I went from being really excited about being around Jesus to feeling not so hot about myself. I have not found anyone. You know who's in this crowd? James and John and Peter and Andrew and Nathan and blah, 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 blah. Okay, Mary Magdalene, whoever else. They're here. And Jesus says, I haven't found anyone in all of Israel who has faith like this guy. Now, if that wasn't enough, that would be enough for me to say, I want to go take a nap, okay? But I say to you, let me up the ante. Many will come from the east and the west, and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he talking about? This is a shorthand. If you're Jewish, you, wouldn't have, you would have no problem with this. He's saying there was a great anticipation in the Old Testament. And it's, 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 it's flushed out in the New Testament too. And in the New Testament, you see it ultimately realized in the book of Revelation, this big wedding feast, and it's, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the people of God coming together for this beautiful feast, Right? And he's saying, listen, you guys all know about the great feast. Oh, yeah, we're waiting for it. We can't wait till, till Rome gets off our back. We can't wait till God sets the world to rights where all the mountains will be made away, when all the oppression and the, and the, and the, and the, and the evil and the, and the swords will be turned into plowshares and we'll finally be done with this broken world and we're all going to be for, forever and ever around the kingdom of God. He says, that great feast, yes, we know about it. He says, let me tell you something about that feast. Not only has this guy got great faith, who doesn't, can't even go to church in our culture right now, he can't go past the sign that says Gentiles not allowed. He said, listen, many people are going to come to that feast, so now they're thinking about the feast. And let me tell you who's going to be there. People from the east and the west, which is a euphemism. Jesus is gentle. It's for people that most people would say have no business coming to Jerusalem, no business coming to Israel, have no uh, access to God at all. The people from the east and the west who are way off, who you don't even think about, you don't care about, you've assumed that they're not, they're, they're persona non grata, guess what? They're going to be there. In other words, guys like these Roman soldiers. And, and, if Jesus wants to turn his knife a little bit better, he says, not only are they going to be there, but he says, they're going to be sitting next to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. They're not just going to be there. They're going to have the best seats at the table. Now already, if you weren't mad already, now you're like, okay, you're taking this a little step too far, Jesus. That you would say these people that I've grown up despising are even going to be there. And now they're going to sit next to the, the most important people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
But see, Jesus isn't done. Then he says, keep listening, got your attention now? But the subjects of the kingdom read, in a sense, the people of God, you know, the Jewish people, the, the, the insiders. But the subjects of the kingdom, they will get the lower seats at the table. No. He says, they will be cast into outer darkness, which is another way of saying they'll be thrown into hell. Now you're thinking, this guy has lost his marbles and he has completely turned everything upside down. He's nuts. Let me tell you what's happening here. Some of you would know. You all know what a sucker punch is? I don't know if you know that term, sucker punch. But what a sucker punch is, is the definition of a sucker punch is an unprovoked, out of left field punch that you get and you don't see it coming. You know, when you, sometimes you're in a fight with somebody, you, you see them coming down the hall in high school or whatever, or whatever, not just in high school. But anyway, we, it, it, you, you know, you, you know it's coming. But see, a sucker punch is you today, me too, I'm in Wegmans, you're in Wegmans, and you're going down a produce aisle, and you're thinking about the cereal aisle, and you know, you're the Fossums, you got a lot of cereal to buy. I mean, you're doing whatever you're doing, okay? And you're not thinking about, you, maybe you're thinking about the bills, you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about. And some guy that walks by you, you don't know him from anything, he turns around and socks you in the face for no reason. And you're just, that's a sucker punch. That's what's going on here, guys. I've not seen great faith like this anywhere in Israel. And the people who never dreamed they'd be there are at the best seats. And the people that thought their whole lives are going to be there are going to be in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what's Jesus doing? It's a wake-up call. Let me say one other quick thing. I'm almost out of time. Does Jesus believe in hell, even though he uses the word outside into the darkness here? Use other places he'll use the word hell, eternal dim. I absolutely believe he does. But let me say something about Jesus and hell. Every time Jesus talks about hell, he, he never preaches hell to unbelievers or pagans, if we call pagans. Every time he talks about hell, he talks about it in a context like this one where he's warning self-satisfied believers, people who think they're in and they're not. Okay? That's why Jesus uses hell. He's trying to make a point. He's warning in messages like this one for people who think they're in, who think they are saved, think they are chosen, but they're not. And what's the big point here for you and me? What's his chance? What is he? he loves his disciples. What's his message to them? What's his message to us? We do not believe as we should. And that's the true source of our problems in life as a Christian. Now let's snap back into it. He's not talking about even going to hell here. He's, he's, he's being provocative. He's making a point. We do not believe as we should. That's the true source of our problems, most of our problems in life, and the reason we have an ineffective witness. That's why. Because what he's saying is, you, you, you're a Christian, you believe, you're in church today, all those are good things, but do you have the kind of faith that says Jesus can go anywhere he wants to go. 
Jesus is already there. He will go anywhere he's invited to go. And even though I might not have access to this friend, even though this person might not take my call, even though I pass by this person and Wegman's in the gym all the time, they're my friend, they're my cousin, they're my brother, they're my child, whoever they are, even though I may not have real connection with them because of many different reasons, God does. And what he's saying to you and he's saying to me is, listen, find a way to bring them to me. And for some of us, it starts with praying for them. But see, you won't pray for those people in your life. I won't pray for those people in my life if I don't really think it's gonna make a difference. And what Jesus is saying is to these, he's waking his church up and saying, listen, this guy right here who doesn't own a Torah, who probably would, didn't understand the Torah if he owned one, he, wasn't, he didn't have access to the temple, he couldn't even go into the temple, into the, the important part of the temple. But he looked at me, he understood something about spiritual authority that you don't. But here's the positive side of this message. Right? of this sobering sermonette Jesus gives. Because he's trying to make a point. The positive sign is, what would our lives be like if we got it? If those of us who have the Bible, those of us who have been Christians, those of us who have access, those of us who can go past the sign that says no one, we have all these things, what might this truth do for our lives if we actually started to believe it? Okay? So, Jesus goes anywhere you invite him. There's nothing he can't do. Okay? He's not on demand. This guy didn't say, this guy didn't know Jesus was going to heal his friend, but he knew he could. That's the point. God doesn't answer a lot of my prayers and yours sometimes, but I believe that he can. That's what informs my faith. Does it inform yours? That's what Jesus is saying. And finally, you need to bring your friends to Jesus. Bring your friend. The other powerful, powerful truth in this passage is this. The guy that was healed in this passage never met Jesus, probably didn't know Jesus from the man on the moon, and by the time this centurion got back to his house, he was already healed. So he didn't have to come back and go, let me give you the gospel, let me tell you who Jesus is, here's the sinner's prayer, blah, 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 blah. He didn't get any of that. Right? This guy was healed by his friend's faith. Right? And once you see that, you can't unsee it. And I would say to you, if I had time, just in this little, I have chapters 8 and 9 in this, just in the, without turning the page, there's two or three other times. Let me just give you one. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. It's right here. If you, if you have a hard copy, you can't, it's right here on the same page. Jesus stepped into a boat. This is the next big episode in the Gospel of Matthew. He crossed over and came to his own town. Now he's back in Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man. It's not the same one. It's a different one. Lying on a mat because of his popularity. He's healed everyone in Palestine. When Jesus, slow down guys, when he saw their faith, their faith, he turns to the sick guy and he goes, take up your mat and go home. Right? That guy didn't have to confess Jesus as his Savior. That guy didn't know Jesus from the man on the moon. But his friends cared enough about bringing him to Jesus, and he was healed. Okay? And third-party healings, I'll call that a third-party healing, they're all over the New Testament. And what's the point? Is The point is that on the basis of one person's faith, another person can be deeply helped and brought to Jesus. Where does it start? It starts by believing. This is a faith. Well, I say it's actually, you have to believe that Jesus can go anywhere. 
Even though you think, well, my cousin won't take my call, my friend, the guy that works with me, he hates God. Okay. Or people on the other side of the world. All of those things are true. You don't have access, but he does. Number one. Number two, as the centurion said, the sphere of your authority is everywhere. And I can, pray, I, can, I can pray for my friends. I can talk to my friends. Even if I don't talk to them, I can talk to you about them and watch God do something that's beyond your imagination. Right? You need to bring... It, it begins, I should say, bringing your friends... For most of us, with intercessory prayer. A big word that just means start praying for people. Because the people that are on your list, if you right now took out a three-by-five card and wrote down the names, I bet you I wouldn't know, unless you're a friend of mine, I wouldn't know those names. I don't know the people you work with. I don't know who your neighbors are. I don't know the people in your office or in your high school or in your grade school. How would I know who they are? I'll live the rest of my life and I'll never even see them. But you will. That's what it means to be sent. It's seeing people differently. It's understanding that your limitations are not God's limitations, and it means you start by praying for them, right? So this is what I want to do. We're all done. I'm going to uh, close us in, in, a, in, in 30 seconds, but I want you just to close your eyes, if you will, and do this small exercise with me. And some of you, if you're already there, then amen. But I want you to think of a name, one person. Maybe it's already come to your mind. That's in you. I mean, you know the name, you know, Bill or, or Mary, whatever it is, a name of somebody in your life that you can begin doing more than occasionally seeing or thinking about. You'd say, Lord, help me today to pray. I'm going to start praying for this person. I don't know that I'll ever have the opportunity. Maybe I will, but I want to believe. Lord, that you can go places that I can't go, that you are present in places I'm not present, and that your love is far greater than mine, and you've showed it to me here, that your heart, there was a thousand miracles you could have picked, uh, Matthew and Holy Spirit, but you picked these two to make a point, that there's nobody's outside of the hope of the gospel. Help me, Lord, to have that kind of faith, and help me to start praying for this person today and I would encourage you guys give it 30 days 30 days simply bringing this person's name to your father in heaven to Jesus and say God I pray that you would open their eyes open their heart to know the grace and love of God that's for them Father, I pray for all of us here in this room. Be with us, I pray. God, we love you. We need you. I want all of us, Lord, beginning with me, to know what it really means to be sent, to know what it means to serve you, to know what it means to know the joy of being used by you in the most important work there is to do, which is to share the message of grace, the message of forgiveness, the message of love to people who thought they didn't have any business with it, who thought that they were unloved, who thought that God was done with them, who didn't care about them, when the opposite is true. Help us, Lord, to be your instruments. Begin with us. Begin with our prayers, we pray. Hear our prayers. 
use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.